You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, myself, and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we publish a replay of a webinar with Greg Ball that happened earlier this year. In this webinar, Greg, who is really one of the most experienced safety statisticians, will talk about the new requirement that the FDA proposed to replace its current annual reporting requirements, the Annual FDA Development Safety Update Report, FDA DSUR. So stay tuned and listen to this webinar. If you want to see it, you can also go to the Effective Statistician, look for the libraries where we store all the webinars and have a look there. The proposed annual FDA DSUR is intended to be consistent with the format and content of the DSUR that is supported by the ICH guidelines. In this episode, we will talk about what effect will this have on your day-to-day -day work, what you can do to prepare for this, and what chances, what chances does this change offer to you. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome everybody on this webinar. We have more and more people joining and as usual, there's always a little bit of a delay after the start of the meeting, but I would all welcome you to the first The Effective Statistician webinar of the year. And if you are new to the effective statistician, there is a lot of resources that, that we provide. We have already over 250 episodes, now actually approaching 300 episodes this year on the podcast. Uh, and we have a lot of free content already on our homepage. So if you go to the effective statistician, Dot com check for the free content there's a link to a library where i store all the content previous webinars and that's where i also will store this webinar and as you have registered for this event you will should pretty easily get also kind of access there you can you know just head over there it is on a on the so-called teachable platform which is a platform that helps to provide content in a easy and nice and digestible way. There's one other announcement I would like to make. Greg is not only talking and presenting today, he will also be presenting on the April 25th. They will not talk so much about the FDA, 
but he will talk about how to work effectively in a multidisciplinary team. So Greg has over eight years working as a dedicated safety statistician. And within safety, the interesting thing is that you work with a lot of different functions, you know, pharmacology, epidemiology, safety experts, clinical experts, medical experts, all kinds of different areas to get this, yeah, this weird thing about safety together. Because as everybody that probably listens here is, safety is a very, very different beast to, to a figure. Greg has more than 20 years overall experience as a, as a biostatistician, has served on more very, you know, high level platforms like, you know, safety organizations, CEZ. We were just talking in the introduction about, you know, the safety working groups and things like that has published quite extensively about all these different aspects and started his own company recently, which is ASAP Process Consulting. And if you don't know yet what ASAP stands for, it's not as soon as possible, but we'll <laughs> probably get to that in a minute. So without further ado, now I hand over to Greg and give him the floor for his awesome presentation. Thanks a lot, Alexander. Yeah, so today I'm going to talk about specifically the FDA DSUR, but there's some important signals here, which we can talk about when we get a little bit deeper into the material. But keep in mind that plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Hopefully by the end of the talk, you'll understand the meaning of this, if you don't already. So the FDA is replacing its current annual reporting requirements for INDs with a more comprehensive and informative annual FDA development safety update report. So the FDA DSUR, which has been previously described in FDA's guidance for industry, the E2F DSUR. So you're probably familiar with this already. So high-level summary, this tool, the FDA DSUR, is for both FDA and sponsors working together to identify and manage potential uh, risks and ultimately to reduce exposure of human subjects to unnecessary risks. This is uh, another demonstration of the partnership between FDA and industry working together to uh, protect the safety of participants in clinical trials and to protect the integrity of the data. But also importantly, this tool is going to make annual reporting process for sponsors more efficient because now there is one format for submission to FDA and multiple regulatory authorities in the rest of the world. Not that it's uh, completely aligned, and we'll talk about that. That's part of the signals I, I was talking about. So just touch on the uh, major provisions, and then we'll get into a little bit more detail on um, a, a few of these. So this expands the scope compared to the 
annual update report. It's more comprehensive. It involves clinical investigations conducted anywhere in the world, not just under an IND. It expands requirement for information, for example, a cumulative number of subjects enrolled in all treatment arms are required, broken down by countries and regions, and also the total number of subjects planned to be enrolled. The description of all actions relevant to the safety of the drug is included, and this is by any regulatory authority or by the sponsor. Importantly, the reference safety information comes from the IB, right? So this has been a little bit of of tug and war with between FDA and ICH and other regulatory authorities. One thing to note, all safety-related changes to the RSI are, are needed to be included in the report. So it's not just a summary of what occurred the previous year the information is going to be compared to what was known before. So it's an evolution in understanding of the safety profile. That, that's an important point and need to understand that if you're going to make best use of, of the DSUR. Need to list all serious suspected adverse reactions and identify those that are unexpected, SUSARs. This is where we start to get into uh, still a little misalignment, and we'll talk about that in more detail in a minute. Some of these other things are pretty straightforward, cumulative summary, tabulation of uh, serious adverse events, summary of safety and effectiveness findings from clinical investigations, summary of key safety findings obtained from other sources, uh, summary of significant CMC changes, cumulative listing, and brief description of all known risks and potential risks. But what is really important in the DSUR, I think, are these last two things, concise integrated evaluation of all of the new safety information. And it's kind of interesting because FDA really promotes this, right? They're, they're very much into aggregate program level safety assessments. So it's kind of interesting that what they had in place before is not this. It's not surprising that they're moving to this other than some disagreements on some things we'll be talking about in, in a minute. And the conclusion. So you put all this information together and then you come up with the conclusions, right? What what does this mean and uh, what actions are being taken or will be taken? So what is the need for this regulation? Well, it's, it's more comprehensive, more detailed. The safety summary it will enable the FDA to more efficiently identify and review new safety signal information. But also it's creating a more efficient reporting process to the FDA and worldwide. So it's going to allow regulatory authorities worldwide to have the same information at the same time. And that is big, that's really important. So in terms of what was in place before the annual update report, it was 
simply accumulating and reporting data for a given time period. So there would be uh, information about what happened uh, the year before, right? But there, there's no interpolation of this information, no evolution and understanding. So without considering all previously available data from clinical trials and other sources, this could have led to delays in identification of important risks. Now, harmonizing the annual reporting of clinical trials, not surprisingly, is going to enhance efficiency and provide all the key stakeholders with consolidated safety information, not just the regulators, but also investigators and patients and, and the, the sponsors themselves. So the, the FDA's current IND annual report was only intended to provide summaries of clinical studies conducted under an IND. And this is a, a brief description of what's included, but you can see that compared to what we were talking about before and what we're going to be talking about moving forward here is a lot less, right? So there's a lot more information coming there. Um, for the F and to align with the rest of the world. So the E2F uh, DSUR provides recommendations for sponsors. It, it provides uh, recommendations for regulators and it facilitates consistency among sponsors and regulators. So that, that partnership I was talking about before, right? In, in order to really protect the safety of participants and at the same time, the integrity of, of the data, sponsors and regulatory agencies need to partner together. And this DSUR is going to provide an update on the status of the clinical investigations. It's going to uh, summarize current understanding of identified and potential risks. It's going to describe uh, safety findings that could have an impact on the protection of study subjects. And importantly, it is examining whether information obtained during the reporting period aligns with prior knowledge of the safety of the investigational drug, or if there's new understanding that, that needs to be uh, communicated with stakeholders. Continuing, again, emphasizing it provides important advantages for safety evaluation compared to the previous IND annual report. So this additional safety information is going to enhance the safety of subjects. And again, ensure that regulatory authorities for all development programs are relying on the same information, right? So this is gonna get rid of the, the misalignment and um, the challenges with reporting different information to different regulatory authorities. So one of the key learnings from this, in order to accomplish this, meaningful understanding of the evolving safety profile of an investigational drug is going to require a periodic analysis of all available safety information. 
Now, historically, this has not always been the case, right? CM6 came out in 2005, I think, and really clarified that we need to start doing program level safety assessments earlier than the submission in the ISS. So we need to move the ISS up earlier in development, not, not the formal ISS, but the ISS process, the ISS thinking, the, the aggregate program level safety assessments in order to understand uh, the evolving safety information. So integrated analysis and a summary of overall safety risks is going to help increase the usefulness of the safety data and help facilitate efforts to identify and assess important safety risks promptly. Now, I want to clarify a couple things. This is not going to require sponsors to submit information that they don't have, right? This doesn't create a requirement for sponsors to seek out unpublished studies, right? If they don't have this information, they're not obligated to include it in the DSUR. And for example, with blinded studies, this is not a requirement to for study teams to unblind ongoing blinded studies. So in preparing the, the DSUR for blinded studies while they're ongoing, study teams could estimate numbers for those studies. Now there's a requirement that the uh, DSUR is, is published within 60 days of the data lock point, which uh, revolves around the IND date. That's not going to line up with other regulatory agencies. So this requirement can be easily waived so that you can choose a date that lines up with the, the global date, global birth date. Another thing is the FDA really wants program level, so product level, really. But often, if, if the product is being developed for multiple indications in, in diverse patient populations, it may not make sense to combine all of the studies together. But this should not be explained in the DSUR. This should be waived before the DSUR, and then separate DSURs could be produced for all of the needed indications. So let's talk a little bit about the DSUR. This provides a thorough annual assessment of clinical investigations conducted and safety information collected during the reporting period that are related to the investigational new drug. So this is a requirement to have aggregate program level safety assessments at least once annually. Now, Companies probably are going to need to do this uh, more frequently, uh, maybe quarterly, for example, to uh, understand the evolving safety profile and to be able to prepare and communicate consistently and authoritatively in, in uh, publications like the DSUR and, and other safety-related reporting of information. Now, this is for all ongoing or completed clinical investigations conducted anywhere in the world on behalf of the sponsor evaluating the drug, including clinical investigations not conducted under an IND. Again, they, they want this product level. If, if you don't want to do it, then you need to get a waiver. 
I'm not going to sound off on all of these. They're, they're listed here in the slides. You can have the slides after the show. There's a couple things I, I want to point out. There's, there's an executive summary that summarizes everything. The table of contents is supposed to be robust enough that it's easily searchable so they can find the information they're looking for. Uh, a lot of these other things is just listing obvious, uh, important safety information. Uh, one thing we need to talk about, though, are the safety data tabulations and the line listings. This is where the differences uh, persist, and we need to understand those a little bit better. Some other things that are pretty obvious. At the bottom, two important things, the overall safety assessments. So this is really a paradigm shift from before. In order to prepare for the DSUR and, and other documents reporting the program level safety, companies are probably going to need to implement a, a new process, an aggregate safety assessment planning process, which if we have time, I'll, I'll talk about after the show here. And the conclusions. So the overall safety assessments brings all the information together and the conclusion uh, makes sense out of it. What, are, what does it all mean? What, what actions are going to result from this, understand, this new understanding of the safety of, of the drug? So here's the, the difficult part. This is uh, where the differences remain, right? So there's slightly different information in the FDA DSUR versus the DSUR used around the world. And this comes from differences in terminology in safety reporting standards. FDA recognizes anticipated events, for example. Other regulatory agencies don't accept this, this, this term yet. For reasonable possibility of causal association, this could be determined by either the investigator or the sponsor worldwide. U.S. is insisting that it is determined by the sponsor who has a better view of everything to make this determination. And, and I got to say that even the EU and other regulatory agencies agree with this when they're making the reference safety information. The reference safety information is determined by the sponsor and its aggregate program level safety assessments. Where the differences starts to happen is in the, the safety reporting, right? So when it's suspected as opposed to recognized. So these differences are going to come out here. All serious suspected adverse reactions need to identify those that are unexpected. This is um, related to the uh, RSI and, and the IB, right? So, so that's a major concession by the FDA. And, and this is where I want to talk about one of the signals that this reveals to me. The FDA for a long time has been trying to advocate for their IND safety reporting final rule and uh, anticipated events. And, and that has created some challenges, right? Well, recently we published a paper demonstrating the, the alignment between the FDA and industry 
at least in the US, on IND safety reporting. So it was published, the, the final rule was published in 2010. The companion guidance was finalized in 2012. The first draft guidance came out in 2015. So the FDA has been trying to get alignment with industry all this time. We wrote the paper a couple of years ago. Last year, they came out with a new draft guidance. and my expectation is that they're going to be finalizing that pretty quick now that there, there is alignment with with industry. And so importantly here, right, the, the same challenges that the industry saw with what the FDA was requiring are the same challenges that the regulatory agencies and other regions have identified. So now that U.S. has regained alignment over these challenges, I expect that uh, the FDA is envisioning that the other regional regulatory authorities are going to be able to also reharmonize with this new approach. So I think this is signaling here. FDA is making things as, as much aligned as possible. There's there's only a couple differences that show up right here, but I, I think the expect uh, the FDA expects that eventually other regional regulatory authorities are going to align more closely with the IND safety reporting final rule. Now that we have a managed and a controlled approach for dealing with the unblinding of serious adverse events and related information. The other uh, things here are, are straightforward and, and not an issue. The other important thing is the overall safety assessment. So this is a concise, integrated evaluation of all new clinical, non-clinical, and epidemiological safety information obtained by the sponsor during the reporting period relative to previous knowledge of, of the drug. So this is where you're going to need some kind of aggregate safety assessment planning process. Now, this overall safety assessment is not intended to require a repeat of information from the previous sections. And it would require an interpretation of the information and its implications for the IND relative to what was known before. And explain how safety information obtained during the reporting period integrates with what was already known about the drug. They also expect uh, a benefit-risk kind of assessment. And here's a listing of all of the things. They're, they're straightforward, no real controversy here. And then the conclusion. So this brings it all together, right? So the, the summary brings all the information together and the conclusion identifies what this means, right? And what actions it's going to lead to, both that are underway and will be taken in the future. So if you want to comment on this, you need to do it by March 9th. There's still plenty of time, a couple months. Any final rule based on this proposed rule would become effective 30 days after the final rule publishes in the Federal Register. So 
it's going to be some time before they uh, publish it, right? If they're uh, taking comments till March 9th. Uh, but once it's published, you have 30 days. And then uh, compliance is expected uh, within half a year after that. So that took a lot of time. I, I was planning to talk a little bit about the aggregate safety assessment planning process. But let me turn it back over to Alexander and we'll see how we want to finish up this, this webinar. Yes, I think, first, thanks so much for the great 25 minute presentation about what's going on here. And I think it's a, it's a really big change and will require a lot of additional resources to, to get all that done and to make sure that all these requirements are fulfilled. And as you just shown on the last slide, well, if it gets published, then you really should have everything in place to do it because otherwise you'll be really, really running late. The overall kind of guidance here, I think for me, just thinking about myself as a researcher, as a, as a patient, is very good because I think we'll get a very, very comprehensive overview of what's really going on much earlier than the actual submission. So by the time it gets to submission, you probably then have less work because, well, you, you already have a lot of done work done. Of course, there's, there's always a, a additional things coming. But given that you have spent a lot of time through this ASAP, and if you probably heard what just Greg said, what it means, you should be in a, in a good place. Yeah, I, I want to emphasize uh, that point. In the past, the first time that, that companies had looked at aggregate program level safety information was at the time of the submission and, and the ISS. And uh, DSUR is, is requiring, right, in, in development, you're looking at aggregate program level safety data at least once each year, even before the submission. And, and that's a good thing, right? Because in the past, if, if the first time you're looking at the combined data is, is when you're creating the ISS, you bring all that information together, you have more power and precision, you're gonna find some things that you need to understand better. So it's gonna to lead to more analyses. So it's gonna be a scramble at the end, right? It's gonna be a fire drill. But now you're looking at these things before. And uh, by the time you get to the ISS, you should be pretty much ready. So it should go, smoothly. This this should streamline the ISS and also continue in, into post-marketing when you have successful drugs that are marketed and there's additional studies to expand the label, right? There's more information. So the uh, process continues. You have to add on to the ISS. Yep. There's a question actually by Nelson. Thanks, Nelson. He asked whether there's any specifics for how to submit the new reports any e-sub i don't know exactly what that stands for but, but nelson you can also kind of put on your uh, video and audio and, and ask a question directly but, but i guess it's about the, the format itself how, how that looks like are there any maybe he's talking about whether it can be submitted electronically yeah that's it yeah i mean 
Going forward, everything is going to be electronic. If if you wanted to submit it hard copy, I think you would have difficulty. They may not accept that. I, I don't know. But electronically, you, you certainly can. I wonder whether that will make it possible in the future to submit more than just PDFs and stuff like that. So, so that, that will be the interesting part. Well, interesting that you bring that up. We're in discussions, most notably through Fuse. We're, we're going to have what we call community forum the next couple months. We're going to have one each month. And, and we're talking about how we're reimagining a safety submission. So in a submission, the, the way it's typically done is, is you basically submit static tables and listings, right? Yeah. But that doesn't take advantage of all of the technology that's available. So we're going to be talking about how we could leverage technology better in a submission and actually provide interactive safety graphics in a submission to help communicate the important safety information, right? And to give some flexibility to regulators when they review the, the, the safety information that they can look at the information different ways, you know, in subgroups that are defined ahead of time. And, and this might also improve the efficiency because no matter how many tables and listings and figures you send in a submission, there's always more questions, right? But if you have some flexibility to look at the, the data different ways, then they might be able to provide their own answers. And then they won't have to go back and forth with an iterative process that can be very time consuming. So again, this, this is all about that partnership between regulatory agencies and, and sponsor companies, right? Trying to understand the safety data to consistently communicate the safety data to all important stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that's where the future goes. Have interactive data visualizations, especially on the safety side, that help you to support the general workflows that you have anyway. Yeah. So where you want to kind of dive into the data deeper on a, you know, on a subgroup, on a bipatient level, but then also, you know, go back to the, to a more global, global view backwards and forwards without kind of flipping through hundreds of tables and listings, which is quite tedious. And, and in the process of doing this, we, we have to consciously recognize that safety is different than efficacy. And we need to set up a process that is designed for safety, right? Uh, currently, clinical trials are designed for efficacy. Studies are designed for efficacy for the primary efficacy endpoint, right? And, and the rules are very well established and we have the most powerful test for efficacy, but for understanding safety, right? It's a different process. It's not a testing and confirming process. It's a learning and decision-making process. So we need to set up a process that can uh, leverage the scientific expertise and medical judgment of multidisciplinary teams in regulatory agencies and in sponsors in order to understand the safety profile of these drugs that we're developing. Yeah, yeah. And that is really a very, very important point. So, so if you have just been multitasking, which I 
Yeah. Can understand we are all sitting in PCs all the time and there's some new email coming up or a new chat coming up. If you're multitasking at the moment, come back now because now it's really, really important. Uh, so let's talk about this ASAP. What is that and why is it so important? Could, could you just repeat on that? Right. So I highlighted in red some areas that are requiring aggregate program level safety assessments, right? In the DSUR, but the DSUR is not the only document that is requiring communication of the aggregate safety profile. There's lots of documents throughout development, even into post-marketing, where you companies need to consistently and authoritatively communicate the safety story. And to do this, you need a process, right, that is championed by a multidisciplinary group responsible for the aggregate program level safety assessment. And just like in studies, right, you have a study, you have a protocol that you have this document that um, explains exactly what you're going to be doing. We need a similar thing for aggregate safety assessment planning, right? You need these planning documents. Now, the difference between efficacy and safety, though, for a study, what ideally you would have one protocol and it would never change, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you would plan it, you'd uh, close your eyes, and when you have all your data, you, you would analyze it according to the protocol. For, for safety, you have this planning docket. It's a living document, right? And it facilitates the cross-disciplinary scientific engagement of all of the relevant disciplines coming together to understand the, the safety. And it's program level, right? And it's ongoing. And you're going to have studies that come online and complete, and more studies come online and complete, and the knowledge is going to evolve. And you can update this document at any time that there's uh, new knowledge about the safety profile that needs to be incorporated in the safety strategy. Yeah, and this, I think my understanding is you need to update that at lots of time points, you know, not just kind of after you have a database log, you update it when you have, you know, could be even external information coming. Yeah, there's maybe uh, another drug that have a similar method of action where there is, and they publish about a certain kind of rare side effect. Well, I guess you need to take that into account and, you know, update your, your, your processes to, to look into the, this information. Yeah. Or there's a, you know, the FDA becomes aware about a certain kind of mass effect that they have seen in other areas. And you have probably be, maybe been in these situations where you get a question from the FDA about a side effect and you say, where is that coming from? Yeah. That's because they, you know, they have seen another sponsor and they have a similar drug and they have seen the side effects there. So they want you to look into it. So there's all these information that come from all kinds of different sources that you then need to take into account. And that's what I think you mean by having something like a living document and, and a process that takes all these kind of different things into account and where you can show to, spawn, to, to regulators, we have everything under control and you're also yourself as a sponsor, as a company, as a, as a project team, 
can feel like you have under, everything under control. Isn't right. It? And very important point here. I think the FDA loves this idea uh, of having an aggregate safety assessment planning process. I think the most common word in, in the final rule was systematic. The, the FDA and EU and other regional regulatory authorities want a systematic program level safety assessment. So why are they not requiring uh, an ASAP or something like an ASAP, right? Well, I, I thought about this for, for a while and it became obvious to me because the way we're developing it, the way uh, sponsors are developing the, the ASAP, this is for the sponsors. This is an internal process that facilitates the multidisciplinary teams working together to understand the safety profile, to identify safety topics of interest that they want to understand better before they make a determination of whether this is an important identified risk or not, before it gets labeled or not, right? The, so if it's going to serve in this purpose, and this is a great purpose, right? And this is going to help companies understand the safety profile and communicate it consistently in the DSUR and other documents, right? If the FDA were to include this in a guidance somewhere, then it would become required, right? And then if you had an audit or an inspection, that would be auditable, right? And then that would corrupt the purpose of this process, right? Because now if that were to happen, then companies would have to say, oh, well, if, if, if we identify this as a safety topic of interest and then this gets audited, then it's going to be on the public record and then we're going to be held legally uh, responsible for this event, right? And, and then it's going to corrupt the purpose of this process. So the FDA is 100% behind this. And, and uh, many times they, they said in uh, presentations at scientific conferences that uh, they really like what the uh, industry is doing with this. But they're leaving it in industry's hands so that we can develop this process for our own purposes as a learning and decision-making process to understand the safety profile and to consistently communicate it in the DSUR, in the ISS, in, in the CTD, in every other publication of the, the safety profile of the drug. So if you now think as, as a participant here, I don't know, do we have this? If we have it, how good is it? You have the good opportunity now to work together with Greg. Because since he uh, left his last job, he is now um, working as a consultant. So you can reach out to Greg to actually you know, help you either set up these processes or check these processes, improve these processes, and learn from what are best practices, where are all things going, what can you do to make sure that you always can authoritatively tell your safety story for all the different components that you have. Now, Greg, how, how would that, such a you know, consulting look like? What, what would be kind of the benefits for, for working together with you? Right. Ultimately, I, I want to help companies get this implemented because it's going to help them. And 
the ASAP is an idea that is publicly available, although there's very little experience with it. So companies are going to struggle setting this up in their first couple programs. So what I'm offering is really a cure for this, right? This is not like an addiction to a, a drug and then you need to get more and more of that drug, right? This is a cure. You, you need to hire if, if, Greg and then you need to hire him again and again and again. And again. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> so it's, it's really just communicating this idea, socializing this idea, helping companies implement this. We, we developed this at Merck and it took several years in a big resource intensive team developed this process And then we implemented it in a couple programs and we learned from that over a couple more years and, and we implemented it in, in uh, the second wave of programs. So this idea is not a theoretical idea. This is something that has been developed and implemented and, and it works really well. And if, if companies are interested in doing this, I can help facilitate the process. Now, but what I want people to understand, you know, it's They, they may feel a little bit uncomfortable buying into this idea. So I'm happy to come to any company, no cost, to give a, a webinar to explain the, the value proposition of having an ASAP process. And uh, the DSUR is just one example of that. Now, that's a really, really nice offer. So I hope you just got that and wasn't, weren't distracted. You can just send Craig a an email, ask him, hey, let's jump on a call, have this discussion, set up a meeting where you invite your relevant cross-functional stakeholders and have kind of explain about what this is, what is the goal, where are the learnings, what are the typical kind of problems that were there in the past and how you can leverage that to make sure you're always up to date. With, with your analysis on, on the safety side. Or even in a more non-threatening way, I have a website that I just created last, well, had created. I'm not really capable of creating my own website, but I have a great <laughs> website, I got to tell you. You could go to this website and look at some of the material, and there's a, a way to send me an email saying that you would like a, a free webinar. Yeah, You can just, you know... Hit reply to the emails that you got from me for this webinar. Hey, I would like to talk to Greg and then we'll make the connection. Yes, that would be an easy way too if, if you're comfortable with that. Now, any other questions from the people on, on the call now? Any questions about the topic? What's coming in terms of the FDA? Any questions on um, Greg helping you? And also just, you know, open your mic and ask a question. We have a small, small group now, so, so that's, that's no problem. Okay. Otherwise, thanks so much. Yeah. As a short summary, if you uh, want any further help from Greg in terms of the aggregated safety analysis planning process, reach out to him or to me directly and, and we'll make the connection and you can get a free webinar specifically designed for your company 
to, to get an introduction into this. We'll make the slides of this uh, available for everybody. And of course, we'll put the recording into our library of the effective statistician. And so you will be able to then, you know, get all of that there and uh, have a have a further look into this. So if you liked this and you want to share it, share it with as many colleagues as you would like, because all of this is free. And thanks so much, Greg, for being here on the first webinar of the year. Thanks a lot, Alexander. And thanks, everybody. Have a good day. was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS who helped with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.